as people of color, we don't have to make inherently politicized art, you know? The fact that you are in this art space, in any space, that itself is representation, that itself is your part. Just your presence alone is already saying something. This is The Tea of FIT, a podcast by W27, the Fashion Institute of Technology's newspaper from New York City. We're your hosts, Perna Chattery and Lonnie Brown. In this episode, we're having a discussion with the filmmakers of Through Our Eyes 2020, William Munn, Aurora Hins, and Ashley Vargas. Here's their documentary's artist statement, read by Ashley. The socially distanced documentary Through Our Eyes 2020 was made to amplify voices of Black, Indigenous, and POC students on the Fashion Institute of Technology's campus. The 2019-2020 school year has impacted students' lives deeply. The documentary features interviews with eight current and former FIT students regarding how the 2019-2020 school year, in addition to racism on campus, affects their educational and creative lives. The students discuss their experiences with the racist MFA fashion show, the COVID-19 crisis, and the Black Lives Matters uprising across the nation. This episode has descriptions of racial trauma and violence. Nothing graphic, but we thought you should know. I think one of the first things when we saw the documentary was that, okay, we can relate with this because we're all people of color. Um, and it's so easy to kind of, you know, communicate just knowing that. And when watching it, I think that I specifically had a connection with it, um, being African-American and Prerna. I found out about this documentary from one of my professors and I was talking to her, I think, about Asian-American identity in the classes she teaches. And I'm South Asian-American, more specifically, I'm Indian. And I definitely related to some of the people, too. And I thought it would be a great chance to have a conversation with you guys. So would you want to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is William Munn. I am a senior film and media student, second generation Korean American, and I like horror movies, everything drag related, and long walks on the beach. I'll go next. Um, Hi everyone, my name is Ashley Vargas. I am a half Filipino, half Puerto Rican Bronxite, born and raised in NYC. I'm a graduating illustration major, and I hope to draw things that make people happy for the rest of my life. Hi guys, uh, my name is Aurora Hins. I am a senior right now in the International Trade and Marketing Program. I am from Minneapolis, so when all of the George Floyd riots and protests started happening, it like really hit home in in a different way, which which made me more excited to um, start this project for sure. That was great. So... (laughs) Can we just start off with what led you guys to make this documentary and like, why did you want to do it? So can I kind of go like a little bit before why we started this documentary, like how we became Spotlight and how um, we came together? Okay. And then Will, just feel free to jump in whenever because you were there the whole way. Me and Will, we took the same Press Scholars course our freshman year and our final project was to do a... Um, basically pitch for what was then known as the innovation grant and it was us two and two other seniors at the time. Um, The Presidential Scholars is one of the honors programs at FIT. We also have the Baker Scholars. Um, They're just different requirements I think for each program but basically you need like above a 3.5 GPA, do extracurricular activities or volunteer experiences. And then we get to take um, really cool liberal arts courses like the ones with Amato and Tombro. 
um, which has been really great to sort of um, get to meet people in, in a different way outside of the classroom. And you can apply to it when you're um, applying to go to FIT as a freshman or um, if you're transitioning as a junior. So there's definitely opportunities for people to join it. So yeah, the first big Spotlight FIT project was kind of made up within that Press Scholars course within me and Will's freshman year alongside two other seniors. And it was just like a final project pitch. No one really submitted it um, at the end of the semester, but our group did. And surprisingly that summer, we got an email saying that we got it. Um, so our first project was to do an exhibition and a documentary called For Someone Who Looks Like Me. And that was done um, majority in the year of 2018. Um, but the response from that project was really great um, from not only students, but faculty. So we also applied for another kind of like grant initiative thing called the Clinton Global Initiative or um, CGIU University. So that's um, something our advisor, Suzanne McGillicuddy, advised us to apply for, which gave us more um, access to grant funds, um, mentorship. And me and Will weren't really sure what to do with our project from then on because we already did an exhibition and one more documentary. So until the summer when COVID hit, um, the fashion show hit, um, and then BLM kind of like happened all at once. I was like, well, we need to capture this moment. We need to talk to students because um, this is such a unique experience and hopefully we never have to go through it again, but we should document the student's strength, um, how identity impacts uh, their creative work at this time. So that's kind of what led us to do this. Um, so I just joined Spotlight recently at the beginning of this project. Um, I had always known Ashley and Will from the Presidential Scholars programs, um, taking classes around campus and stuff, but uh, never really got a chance to collaborate with them on anything. So that was really exciting for me as a, a business major to work with art students. Again, I come from an arts background, um, so it's definitely important to me. Um, and I also just have a lot of experience within activist communities. Um, I went to a performing arts school and everyone was always planning walkouts and uh, leading student protests. And it was always something I felt that was really lacking within my FIT experience. I wasn't really sure how to be an advocate because I wasn't sure where those opportunities were available to me. So this was really great um, for that. Um, when me and Will first started out, uh, the original senior we worked with was from the business school. And when he left, I think we found ourselves, you know, both being in more creative majors, just wanting to do creative work. So that's when we both discussed and we felt like we should reach out to Aurora because she always left out like a helping hand to us. Um, so adding her in has helped us become more organized, especially during senior year when we all have final projects to do. So I think finding that balance between like having creatives and people who know the more businessy advertising um, organized side of things has been very helpful to our group. It's also just been really interesting getting to work with like all the three different schools at FIT. Um, as a film and media student, we're still part of the School of Liberal Arts, not exactly art and design. So um, I personally don't really get to see much about like other majors in the school. So um, just getting to see like 
what Ashley and Aurora do, and also like the people that they know who would eventually help us with the creation of our film. Like it was just a brilliant, weird Frankenstein baby. <laughs> do you guys want to talk about any of the people that helped you in the process? Or I can't imagine trying to make this in when everything is remote in the first semester. So do you want to talk about any of your emotions during that, or any of the people that helped you through that? I think when we first started this, it definitely. We definitely felt a bit lost and confused because, well, first off, we definitely want to do things in person, and if we were to create a film, or、um, hopefully, like create an exhibition as well, then you know, that all has to be done in person. But、um, luckily, we had a lot of guidance from a lot of wonderful people,、um, just friends as well.、Um, so Suzanne McGillicuddy, she's the assistant dean of students, and she has been basically our like. Mentor,、um, just advisor throughout the entire process.、Um, she's the one who first actually reached out to us about the innovation grant、um, way back in 2018. So we've been working with her ever since. And、um, in CGIU,、um, Ashley and I got a lot of helpful feedback from、um, our mentor Maisha Alexander, who is a filmmaker.、Um, I believe a biological anthropologist. Like she does everything, and it was just. And she's also a woman of color, so getting her insight was very, very valuable and helpful throughout the entire pro- like process. And also, just like seeing、um, the reactions from like social media, and like so, so we let out、um, Aurora and actually created these like social media posts, being like, "Hey, if you want to participate in our film, reach out." And we got like a lot of people like reacting to it,、um, resharing it.、Um, so it was just wonderful. And last but not least,、um, aside from the participants, who I'm sure we'll get into <laughs> as we talk about the film,、um, but we had a wonderful.、Um, Crew of like of like women editors helping us throughout this entire process. So um, special shout out to Megan Cherry, Mary Richards, and Nancy Promenade. Love you guys so much. Do you guys want to talk about your process from like getting the participants to figuring out what questions you're going to ask them and setting that up? So I think the first major things that we did was present this idea to Suzanne because.、Um, We knew that this topic would be quite sensitive, especially if we talk about the FIT fashion show. So, we're very lucky that she supports us not censoring ourselves and truly like understanding how students feel.、Um, however, she wanted to make sure that it was,、um, I guess, done in still a sensitive way.、Um, so, we wrote questions between me and Will, and then Aurora helped. And we sent them to Suzanne. After that, we created our call out to students. But you know, you know, getting shares for a call out is very easy. Getting responses to a Google form is quite hard. So we started reaching out to like Plan B and C,、um, which is our friends.、Um, and we're all very lucky to have very creative,、um, proactive friends、um, who we were able to pull in for this documentary. So for us, I think the main things、um, we really didn't want to try to like exclude anybody, but you know,、um, as we did want to focus on people of color's experiences, you know,、uh, I think our main thing that we just really focused on was like, are they a person of color? And most importantly, like in the responses to the Google form, we wanted to make sure that they like had something to say rather than just, you know, that life was hard, you know, and period. <laughs> so、um, luckily,、um, everyone who really did.、Um, Everyone who really did respond to it, they definitely ha- did have something to say, and you know, th- and that was really motivational and encouraging to see that you know they wanted to also like u- like use their voices to talk about some very serious issues. And I think that's when like 
everything just felt really like motivational and inspirational you can cut this part out i'm not really sure i'm going um <laughs> no but um i guess like going back to um who we basically picked out so it really did come down to whoever um really responded back to us um of course it's a very it was a very busy and difficult semester for everyone to adjust to so um we didn't get to work with everyone who applied however the um the eight that we did get to work with they were amazing two specific examples i kind of want to shout out two illustration majors that i've been acquainted with within my classes um one his name is obi and another one is named ade and especially during the george um the news of george floyd and the blm movement I saw like because they're black artists how it emotionally impact them and they were super transparent about that on their Instagram feeds their um art account followings um gained they like gained a lot of new followers uh they got a lot of new commissions but they were very transparent in like questioning and asking is this all because of white guilt is it because of my skin color so I thought that perspective was very important to have in our documentary, especially as FIT is a creative school and questioning, um, you know, the value of their work. Why are they only seen now? And I wanted to make sure they had a platform to talk about it to faculty and people who might not be thinking about this. Here's an excerpt from the documentary featuring the voices of Obi and Odeswa, both students at FIT. I've been getting a lot of attention from my work, and if kind of feels like white guilt, like a bunch of a bunch of white guilt. I guess like a natural reaction to the things that people have been seeing going on. Because it's like all those racial injustices, all these kind of bad things are happening. What is the what is the thing I could do to support? The least I could do is support a black artist. Like recently since the protests, I've been getting a lot of like followers on Instagram and people are starting to see me. And it's weird because I've always been here, you know. I've always been here and people are now choosing to see me for, and it's like things have to boil down to this point for me to be seen or for me to be cared about or for my art to be considered. And it's kind of irritating and overwhelming. And I feel like as a black artist, people kind of always expect me to say something even though I've been through so much and having to see so much, is like, I have to always say something, you know? It's, it's just very, very exhausting. Exhausting is the word for it. There's definitely a disconnect between the professorship, which is more significantly more white than the student body. I think this documentary was a great way to show specific examples of just how disconnected the student body is from some of the professors so going back to your um like acquaintances like the question that you guys asked about how have current events affected your work i remember obi said how he wasn't sure if, if his work was getting attention because of white guilt or not and like what was your guys reaction to some of their responses when they answered that question i think because i'm also an illustrator who's a person of color I recognize that even though we might have a lot of similarities, there's a very also large amount of stark differences that we have. I didn't recognize that I went into illustration originally because I wanted to create more opportunities for representation and diversity within the art world. But now after hearing their interviews, it made me step back and rethink like beyond representation, 
Does art make me happy? Am I doing this because it's fun? Or was it kind of just like some social justice feeling that I had in high school and just let it, you know, run wild? So I think listening to them made me reflect more on my own creative choices because once again, I, you know, in my own way, like being a non-Black POC artist, um, I have some more privilege um, just doing, you know, diversity because it's relatable or because it's fun, not because, you know, I'm constantly like expected to post things about my traumas, which I think they have expectations to do that I don't. So yeah, it was a very reflective conversation. The topic of race-based art came up a lot in the documentary, and rightfully so. Here's what Ashley H. had to say about it. I won two national medals in Scholastic after submitting like 26 things, and they were all about race. It makes you think, is this what I need to succeed in this industry? And like, Initially, you went into illustration because you wanted things like representation, but then it goes back to your question in the documentary about people having to feel obligated to make art on their race and like what are your thoughts on that do you feel like like if you were to answer that question what would you say do you feel obligated to make art in your race i think something that um when we asked that question one of the participants um Nivon, said something really insightful and he said that as pe- um people of color like people don't really realize that all of our experiences are inherently political you know, and unfortunately in this like, institution, we can't just be like, you know, like what exactly is normal for us, you know, um, that's not adhering to just like, like a white standard of living. Yeah. And so going, I'm talking about like racial obligations to, to include in your art. For me, like I personally can't really see how, like what other stories can I really tell? You know, if I want to include other people of color, there's this like really thin line of oh, are you just erasing, like, the cultural, like, history that comes with that type of person, that comes with a queer person, that comes with a person of a certain, like, religion, you know? And so, you know, as much as, like, I want um, different people of color to be, like, the main characters in their own stories um, and be and be leading in, like, different stories that don't always just focus on, like, racial trauma and stuff like that, I think there are definitely creative ways to go around that, you know? Um, there's so much media nowadays that doesn't just, like, pigeonholed characters to just being about their race or documentaries that don't just focus on like one specific like event that ruined someone's life and that's all they're known for you know and so um i'm calling out all the other media that does that because that's just lazy writing and lazy profiling yeah that was really when you were saying that i was like oh my gosh like yes um you know every character growing up that i saw it was you know a very minor thing or i you know have to search or my mom would look up shows like oh where to like you know kids shows with black people in them could never find them and if i did then it was just you know the quirky token character that kind of thing and you know it was just interesting like growing up to have that i I love how you kind of called out and just said you know that's lazy writing and there's ways to get around that and i feel like i i've done a bit of writing i i call myself a writer but um whenever i'm writing about you know people and stories i always you know find myself doing more research and asking people and doing things like that and i feel like just small things can make such a difference in telling people's stories and there are ways creative ways to get around you know not having everything being you know, related to such, you know, hard subjects for 
baby kids or just in general adults to process. I know Charisma said in your guys' documentary that... I feel that I have an obligation to at least have some art that is political, but I also feel that not everyone should be held up to that. I've realized recently that a lot of, especially like the black art that I see is based in like trauma. Um, a lot of the movies that I've seen, some, like I feel bad because when I watch some of these movies, I feel like I don't want to watch it because it's based in trauma and that I don't get to see like the happiness that could be produced from this culture, if that makes sense. Like people of color and especially black people should be allowed to make like happy um, media and art based off of their culture instead of it always being expected to be based in trauma. Like it should be allowed to be happy. <laughs> There's also this podcast called called Bookable where they review like books and stuff. And then two um, authors were talking about this uh, playwright's book, Ayad Ukter. He was on the podcast and he was talking about how basically what William was saying how, or Will was saying how because he's Muslim, even if he's not specifically writing about that, people are like, oh, this is a Muslim identity politics book just because that's his experience. So, yeah, everything people of color or BIPOC people do gets politicized. What has been, you know, the response to the documentary? Has it been good? Has it been bad? Have there been any reviews? How, how does your family, have your families watched it? I know they're pretty encouraging about it, I'm sure. I think uh, when we did our first premiere, first of all, it was all online. We did a documentary premiere on Google Hangouts during a common hour time period. And we were kind of overwhelmed with the amount of people who came in. And it was not only students, it was not only our friends, but it was just faculty who were genuinely interested in what uh, POC students had to say in our film, which was kind of really surprising. And we've actually received a few emails from professors um, just commending our film. Uh, me and Will, we both work at the writing and speaking studio. Our bosses, they commended the film. One of our bosses, um, she's on the diversity council and she encouraged all the members to not only watch our short version that was premiered, but she encouraged them to watch the 40 minute version. Uh, hearing things like that um, really makes it feel like we're creating an impact that can last rather than students who are going to stay here for four years. If faculty, you know, feel something slightly different or question their methods or um, ask themselves, should I be staring at that one POC student when I'm talking about their specific nationality? Um, I think that can go a long way and that means a lot. And with certain conversations that we've had with uh, administration after the premiere, um, they've sort of mentioned like maybe including the documentary in the diversity training that they're starting now um, that they've been doing over the summer. So I think that was really cool because we definitely didn't intend to like make it a resource necessarily like it was really purely to document and accurately represent students experiences and make sure that they were not being filtered or censored in any way that would purely shine like good light you know like talking about the bad is just as important as talking about all of the good um so i think that that reaction is really incredible that they're taking a student's work um, like for students, by students, and then showing the professors so that they're also getting that 
unfiltered and uncensored view of how people feel in their classrooms. Yeah, I, I love that. And what, what you guys did with this, I think it's really powerful. And I think it's so cool that you guys are kind of creating like this legacy that students will have to look back on. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, especially at a school like this, they want to make, you know, a footprint in the sand. But it's so hard, you know, with, you know, everybody being so creative and everybody being like amazing at everything to do that. And I think, you know, you kind of have you have this time that's not so great, but you can build on it and work from it. And just this, I feel like, is a really solid foundation for, you know, working upwards from that, especially in the FIT community. So I really appreciate, you know, the documentary and everything that you guys are doing. It's amazing. I like I really appreciate it. <laughs> Can you have crying on this podcast? Cause damn. <laughs> Thank you though. Thank you so much. Yeah, I totally relate to Lonnie. Like when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, FIT students made this documentary that is like so real. Like I was really, really impressed. I felt like some of my feelings were validated also. Cause sometimes I, I'm like, oh, is is this like professor being racist or are they just like kind of mean like i think some with microaggressions there is this like weird gray area that you're like left wondering oh was that was that just like by accident like this one professor he would always mix up my name and this other brown girl's name and i would just be like oh, okay it's like i guess it's only halfway through the semester so maybe he doesn't remember who is who and even at the end of the semester he would ask like oh you're um her name was Simran. I'm fine. I'm friends with her. Like, it's fine. Like, I don't have anything against her. He would be like, oh, you're Simran, right? And I was like, no. Then when you're at the end, like, at the end of the semester, when he's, like, evaluating my work, does he know who I am still? And I, I like, participate actively in stuff. So that kind of made me, like, upset. And I, I was left wondering, like, oh, is that an accident or is it, you know, like a microaggression? So this documentary really made me feel validated. I think it's easy to be super in your head about what happens to you if you don't talk about it with anybody else. Like it's easy to minimize things. If a professor um, says they don't understand your piece, but it's something about your culture. If no one else in the class is having that experience, it's easy to say, well, maybe it's, you know, the subject that I chose. It's not easy um, enough to understand. But when you hear other people go through that same experience, then it's you know, that validation is super important. And I think that's another reason um, why I approached Will with this project idea, because it's like everyone's going through this pandemic. Everyone's going through this fashion show and, you know, seeing, you know, BLM on the news every day. But it's so easy for us to be like, you know, everyone's going through this. You know, maybe I'm just being too sensitive. Maybe um, I can just get over it because um, I know, at least for me, like, that's how my immigrant parents were like, you know, the world has been worse. You need to calm down. But, you know, a lot of people are feeling, you know, these emotions and they suck. And I think when you hear other people, you know, feel that way and are, you know, um, being honest, then, you know, you're able to look at yourself and be like, you know, I, it's OK for me to feel this way. It's OK for me to express these feelings, because if I keep them like all inside, you know, it's just going to make me feel worse. And I think you know, something that Will always mentions with um, the interviews we did is the feeling of community and actually talking to people. Because we were conducting these interviews like uh, during the summer when COVID was really hitting and you see people, um, 
you know, breaking the rules and going out to restaurants and partying and you're at home like, I don't want to kill my grandma, um, that type of feeling. So being able to talk to people who are doing the same thing in the same situation was really beneficial for us as well in a kind of selfish way. I really like that. I feel like I was going through the same kind of thing where I was like, oh my God, I'm going through this. And I was like, wait, no, everybody's going through this. But I'm like, I don't see other people going through it. So like, are they really? And then I'll, you know, the stuff that I do see will be, you know, the people who go out and not the people who are, you know, in for the day, going to drink some tea and chill. It's the people who are going out to different parties and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I have a little bit of FOMO, but what should I? And no, I shouldn't. <laughs> but I can't help but feel you know that it's just me here and then I'm like okay it's everybody and so I think a a good thing and when I was watching the documentary and certain things that you guys said it was like okay well, I'm not alone. And I've, I've kind of come to terms with that. It's It's been, you know, however long since everything started. But um, even just in the beginning in getting that reassurance that, you know, you're not the only one. And there are people going, uh, there are people, you know, having the same struggles and different struggles. And, you know, it's okay to feel like you are the only one sometimes. It's okay to be like, what was me? You know, sometimes you need a moment like that. But um, I think hearing other people talk about it and talk about their experiences, it's a lot more reassuring and you know it makes it feel a little bit better to feel that way sometimes i'm I'm really glad that you that you guys feel that way because you know as spotlight fit like as much as we wanted faculty to like hear the students voices above all else we just want to create a space for students to feel heard and to feel like vindicated you know like sympathized with you know (laughs) and so like yeah i mean i like that's pretty much it like i just wanted to say that you know in the end, like our goal is to really make the students feel like, you know, like they're being seen. And our goal really is just to like provide a platform for that. So I'm glad that like that message came across. Something that, you know, we definitely gotta like remind students is that there are a lot of clubs, cultural clubs, um, support groups on campus as well. You know, like Spotlight isn't the only like form of representation <laughs> for people of color by any means. No, not at all, you know? You know, we have like the LGBT club, we have BSU, we have um, ASN, we have so many different types of clubs, you know, and even if you don't see them doing something right now, you know, they are there and they have done and are continuing to do amazing things. So, you know, like, you're not alone. That's all I got to say. Going back to what Ashley was saying about like complicated topics and stuff, and then your professors kind of not understanding um, one of the students in the documentary was talking about how she wrote a script and she was like, having trouble getting through it. And then she wished her professor could be able to guide her experience because she was like saying she was writing it like half in Spanish, half in English. And then I think if you have a mentor who can understand that experience, it can make a really big difference. And especially for people who don't see themselves in the industry as often that can make a really big difference. Kind of bouncing off that, like, especially within arts education, um, art students really have to make, like you said, like work for the professor. So first and foremost, like before you get to make work for yourself, for your community, um, you have to make work to get a grade. Um, And I was talking to somebody else about Um, the Grammys and how backwards they are and just like all of the mentors that we're missing out on um, and all of the people that we could be looking up to and learning from that 
we we're missing out on all of this because of these weird like eurocentric uh western ideals when it comes to what good art is or what high art is um and yeah just definitely um a large issue especially within like higher academia yeah because thinking about the fit curriculum the art history basic is ha112 renaissance european art and I didn't have like a chance to even look at other cultural art history courses until like my sophomore year and getting through that, um, which is unfair. And even with that, a lot of the art history department is, you know, taught by white people. So I don't know. But this year I did see that they did come out with new art history courses. So things are slightly changing that's why like if you're also listening to this podcast look at your art history courses and fill in the poc one so fit can get a message and like even looking at some of my film like courses um i actually did have some discussions with faculty and i i think there is going to be change coming in the film curriculum which is great but you know like for some reason like it never really occurred to me how like eurocentric the actual like course is you know and i never really realized how academia really is like so like Eurocentric, like the fact um i know um diamond who's in the film she's actually a good friend of mine she's also a film student she specifically like we would talk a lot about like how can we never learn how to like people with different skin colors you know how can we never learn how to deal with like these stories that deal with like racial um trauma or even like like sexual assault traumas and things like that you know like there's a lot of things just not being taken into consideration and so um i don't think that you know, FIT is obligated to, like, teach, like, everything about, like, a certain industry or whatnot. However, like, even even just mentioning these types of things, even just mentioning, like, platforms and spaces that we can feel a part of once we graduate, like, that's great. To build it into the curriculum, that might take a long time, but if professors can even just open up dialogue about it in the classroom, like, why is it that we only watch films that are from the West or like why do we only mostly see like non-POCs in the film industry because if you can talk about it in the classroom that can even be like more effective than um, the curriculum itself if students can critically think about it and have a conversation on that which is why I love like liberal arts courses even in Spanish language classes you can talk about it but I think in liberal arts courses, it's easier for the topic of race to come up and to talk about it. But even in advertising, sometimes, like I'm in AMC, so in advertising and marketing classes, I'm like, why aren't we talking about uh, this? Because there's so much that is relevant to in terms of race and advertising that I wish like professors weren't so by the textbook, like only want to do what's in the textbook and they actually want to have more conversations too. For example, in my video production class, we're supposed to make a project that is like an advertisement for a product, but not like to feature the benefits of the product. It's more like about a brand story. And in the summer after the killing of George Floyd, a lot of brands were doing Black Lives Matter types of advertisements where they're like capitalizing off of that. And I noticed that is definitely leaking into some students' work. But with a white professor, I don't feel, like, that comfortable voicing, like, do you think it's, like, appropriate to use that in your advertising project? You know? I don't want to call it students, but 
Like, that's what my partner and I were talking about in private, but we wish we could have voiced it to the class, too. Um, I think, like, sort of a parallel example of that is how, um, like, you know, we have, like, greenwashing, there's now, like, pinkwashing for Pride Weekend, you know, where everyone pretends that they've always supported the LGBTQ community. Um, so I think especially us, like our generation, because we consume so much media and because we like are so aware of all of the things that people are doing to sort of trick us into like thinking that they care or like really are truly doing something. A lot of the statements that were put out there like had no action behind them at all. And they were just sort of like, hope everyone feels better eventually. Um, and I don't know, I think it's like, Obviously people, I, I, in my opinion, I don't believe that we should be capitalizing on social justice movements because that totally defeats the point of why they are here in the first place. I mean, it's also super insensitive. There's so much pain and history and like a lot of things that like advertisers and especially because the advertising world is so white, like they truly don't understand and they don't have experiences with this. Um, and if you're using diversity or the, the notions of diversity to like sell your product, it's just, it feels so icky and like, I don't know. I don't know any other word. It's just so gross, like genuinely gross. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And me and my friends, we kind of have this game. So every time, like during like say Pride Month or something, a company will change their logo or their Instagram what's it called, like icon or whatever profile picture to something with a flag. And I'm like, oh, well, me and my friends are guessing like how quick they'll be about it as soon as Pride Month's over, as soon to change it. It's it's a sick game. And like, why, why are we playing this? But it's just so weird that, you know, people can do this just because, oh, it's a time when it should be, you know, something that's throughout the year, throughout, you know, the rest of their time is like, a business and it's it's just so weird to see people switch up like that or you know change that quick or go back and forth and not acknowledge maybe their past a lot of the stores that were looted first in minneapolis and the big chains and stuff were chains that were donating money to fund the police departments and so like looters were per like targeting those places because you are funding the murder of citizens and so um i think there's like a lot of things that are just lost in translation when it comes to how businesses are like involved in social justice and how all of like that background, like the donations and the funding and who are your investors, like that is a lot of behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people don't think about. Um, and so when you see people who are donating to the cops post a Black Lives Matter Instagram photo, it is so meaningless and like empty. The way things add up and just not knowing history and where people are putting their money, it's just so interesting. It's, you know, terrible that we have to find out this way, but it's, I thought it was just really interesting, you know, the way that kind of all unfolded, how we learned that information. So I know that we probably all have TikTok at this point, and um, having TikTok in such a 
easy platform to post on during times like this. I've seen a lot of performance activism. So how does how does that make you guys feel? I know seeing it, I was kind of like, we've never experienced something like this in this time. And so this is really new or it's it's just more accessible, I guess. Yeah, I, I was just like, this is kind of weird. I don't know how to feel about this. Cause like, yeah, like Black, Black Lives Matter, but a makeup look, I don't know how I feel about that. So how did, how did that make you guys feel, you know, seeing these things um, and what are your personal experiences with them? <laughs> um, you know, I think there is a way for you to still support a movement and support types of people while staying in your lane, you know, and similar to like what we were talking about with corporations, sometimes it feels like some influencers or just pe everyday people are kind of like capitalizing or exploiting these types of movements. Um, in the doc, we talk about like how people, um, Obi mentioned how people basically turned Arresta Killer the Breonna Taylor into a meme, you know, a TikTok dance or something like that. And I think it just goes to show like how detached everyone really is from this type of stuff. Like this is a someone who died, you know, this is someone's who's like was someone's daughter, someone's like loved ones, you know? And so, and then like right after, I remember seeing a TikTok that was like, I, I can't tell if it was a meme or not be just because of how absurd it was. But um, it was like um, this white girl who's like, um, POV, you're in the 60s and you're watching your black friend getting lynched. You know, like how, the fact that you can have that produced like just months after everything that happened in the summer, like goes to show like how you, some people are just willing to like flip on like the side of the coin. You know, if something doesn't really, if something's not really trending on YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram anymore, like, will it still be like, will it still leave that imprint in your mind? It's just, it's just really grimy. It's, it's super grimy. Yeah, I remember the first time, and I had seen something similar to that, um, where it was like, what, you have to watch your black friend get beat up, and I was like, what is this? I'm like, I'm like, what is the music? Like the the filter? Like why? And I was like, this is okay. That was the point where I was like, this isn't you know the right way to be going about this. And I'm like, you know, people who don't experience racial trauma aren't well versed in it. So I feel like they're trying so hard to you know understand it. And I feel like some things come from you know a place that's. It, I mean, I feel like it just comes from ignorance just from not understanding, you know, what the baggage that comes along with that. Like, sure, you can do this and you can show what it feels like, but you'll never know. And I feel like that's what kind of hurts most. And, you know, doesn't it doesn't sit right with me. And I remember the first time I saw one of the videos and, you know, one of the Instagram pictures where it's like, Arrest and Murders of Breonna Taylor. And, you know, they're with their friends and like that kind of thing, or like people will film a TikTok and, it's just I don't know. It's so it's so weird to me, and it I feel like it sends the wrong message. And I don't know. It did become like a meme. Like I I, I remember hearing that documentary, and I never could put it into words, but it literally became like a meme, or just you know something for likes and views and for people to comment like yes under. Can I quickly mention um, why we changed our name? Because I think that kind of relates to this. Um, so when we first made the group in 2018, um, when me and Will were just freshmen, we were trying to come up with a name for our group. And we initially called it PO Creatives, kind of just as like, you know, fun, like, oh, POC, and then you just put creatives right after it. But I think um, once again, with the BLM movement over the summer, uh, seeing how companies and so many people used, you know, the term POC, just kind of like as a, you know, 
like a trigger word or like, uh, look, we have POCs. Yeah, a catch-all term. Um, and, you know, the introduction of BIPOC. Um, I think we all had a frank conversation, even with our advisor. We were like, I don't think this term should just be all we are. So um, we changed it over to spotlight because I think that's more of the action we're trying to do. And we're not just trying to, you know, be POC you know, as our thing, our thing is, you know, putting spotlight on the voices and lifting them. Um, so yeah, on that topic, we changed our name because of things like that. I, this is like kind of bouncing back to the social media thing. Um, one of the weirdest things I think that happened in regards to like the performance activism online was Blackout Tuesday. It was so scary and like disheartening to see one day my feed is full of here's where you can get medical supplies here's where you can donate here's where like you can if you have the resources and like the time this is where you can take action yourself like all of these really wonderful grassroots activism was eliminated overnight by a bunch of black squares that were supposed to lift voices and um it was it was so weird to me because a lot of people took it as like well this is me stepping off social media for a while and so that other people can post their things but then just don't post but then just you know why even do it in the first place so it was so backwards to me in such a a weird clout thing it was a lot of the first black lives matter posts that i saw from like even some of my friends which was really concerning um and yeah that was that really was what rubbed me the wrong way because i had a lot of friends who were organizing like on the ground in minneapolis and were getting shot at every night and like they need to know where are the rides where can i go if i get pepper sprayed like who is in my area right now um, and it was all covered up by literally black squares. It was so awful and um, really disappointing. So that was definitely one of the things that stuck out to me during that time. Two things. So what Ashley was saying about how the term like BIPOC or I say BIPOC, but that term was like, it kind of gained a lot of popularity over the summer. I think that term is... Uh, it acknowledges that black people and indigenous people have different experiences than other POCs and even me watching the documentary like yes I can relate to some of the things but some things I can't because I'm not black I'm not of an indigenous background and that's always important to acknowledge because lumping people together all just as POCs is that kind of races everyone's different experiences specifically black and indigenous people so I like that term BIPOC or BIPOC better and then Aurora. Yeah, the squares are interesting because it's like literally the like smallest thing you can do to try to virtue signal that I care about black lives. What do you guys think about people saying you're racist if you don't post on Instagram? I think that comes from a lot of insecurity from the person saying that. I think uh, there's a lot of expectation today that if you do something, it needs to be posted online or it didn't happen. Kind of like if a tree falls and nobody sees it, did it happen? Um, so it's kind of just like, I th think I remember as an artist, 
um, when George Floyd was murdered, everyone, it felt like everyone was rushing to a paper and pencil to draw that man and not, you know, take a moment, acknowledge what's happening at the time and, you know, listen to what other black artists have to say. And I think, you know, I at my, my own time, I was like, oh, everyone's drawing him. Like, do I look bad if I don't draw him? And that's like such a stupid thought to have when there's someone literally like who was murdered by the police. Um, but I think social media is so toxic in that way because I bet there's like so many other people doing, you know, donations, going on marches and not posting about it. And, you know, those are the people who actually care. Um, if you have a platform and, you know, you have actual audience members who want to listen and look to you for information, sure, go for it and use it. But if your platform is typically used to promote yourself and, um, you know, um, you never really showed interest beforehand, um, sure, you should post something, but, you know, don't don't like feel pressured to do it and just to show off or just to fit into the rest of your social media feed. Um, Cause I think even at, at those moments I felt that way. And I was like, this is so dumb. Like what is going on? Um, I think like another layer of complexity that was added onto everything that blew up this summer was that for a lot of people, it was their first time engaging in any sort of activism and it just happened to be like one of the largest movements in history and one of the most complicated and nuanced movements in history um and so kind of what we were saying before like you can see where the intention is right you can see like that obviously people don't mean any malicious harm by posting a black square they don't know that they are silencing voices of of people who are actively sharing resources and, and, you know, like letting people know when the protests are happening and stuff. Um, so I think it really, it, it boils down to, you know, if you are interested in activism, first and foremost, you should do some reading or talk to your friends that you know who are involved in activism and make sure that, you know, your actions are lining up with your intentions and, um, being honest with yourself about where you are in that and um, also like what you have to contribute. Because even like for me and Ashley and Will, when we were creating this documentary, we were kind of like, we're a bunch of Asian people, um, light-skinned Eastern Asian people. So like, where do we fit into this conversation and why do we have the authority to speak on racial issues at FIT? Um, so I think it's, it's really important that people are honest with themselves and really reflective about their actions and hold themselves accountable. I completely agree with everything Ashley and Aurora just said. Um, that's why I like working with them. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, like, especially what Aurora was saying about like, you know, about holding yourself accountable before holding others accountable, like over the summer too, like I... I definitely just like shut down like from social media, you know, like I don't want to um, constantly be seeing all this like horrible things going on, but also like um, these like really performative and fake like posts that I see as well that I'm grouping in with horrible things, um, you know, and you know, I definitely feel that guilt a lot too, 
you know, I have felt that guilt a lot, but also like the conversation starts at home, right? The conversation starts as Aurora mentioned, like reading about these things, about actively like educating yourself. You don't need to make a grand display about, oh, I donated to this charity. Can you, you know, you don't, you know, like just say, can you donate to charity then, <laughs> you know? And so I think there sort of was also this like way of proving your, proving your like, like allegiance that sounds really like patriotic <laughs> but like proving you're like proving that you are part of this movement but you don't have anything to prove just do it you know you don't have to make a scene out of activism it really shouldn't have been and also um i know aurora also mentioned that this was a lot of people's first times but also like people who i personally may have known or have seen like linger on the internet like were you talking about like racial injustice when ferguson happened when all these other black lives were killed you know so just be consistent, just be consistent, everyone. I agree with you, Will. And I just keep thinking um, something that you and Aurora kind of touched on is just the, there's this like weird social media guilt tripping element that has come along with um, being, you know, an activist on Instagram or on Twitter, you know, on, on these social media platforms. And even me as like a black person, I'm like, oh my God, like, do like, should I post this? And like this and that it's, it's so weird. And I feel like just having this weight of, you know, feeling like you have to post certain things. And then if you're posting them just because others, it, it feels not so genuine. And it's just this weird circle. And I feel like it does have a, have a lot to do with just reading and researching and finding, you know, what you're comfortable and what you feel passionate about sharing in, you know, the voices you feel, the voices that you want to uplift. And even just me and, you know, my friends would come and ask me and I, I would be like, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't really, um, you know, yeah, of course, like being a black person, I, I feel these struggles. And even throughout, you know, my lifetime, there have been different things. But even in this mo movement, I was like, I I'm not really sure what to do. And it took a lot of reading and it, talk it took a lot of talking to my other black friends just to figure out, you know, the best way to come about it just being me. And, you know, the weight of social media and feeling like you have to post certain things and then you to have other people looking at you um, as a black person like, oh, well, I'll post what they post. It's it's a it's a lot of weight. And I definitely feel like just, you know, being well versed and just understanding what you're posting about and just knowing 100 percent is a very big deal, especially in this time. So, yeah, that was pretty interesting. I guess just something that I also just want to add about just like general like representation and what that means and stuff like that um like Lonnie like you really got me thinking too because um you know I, as people of color you know um in the doc we we I, I literally just mentioned this like a couple like what like 30 minutes ago too that our experiences are inherently political as well but you know I just want to like make sure that people feel like we don't as people of color we don't have to make inherently politicized art you know the fact that you are in this art space in any space that itself is representation. That itself is your part, you know? And so, yeah, I, I know there's this pressure that like, oh, as a person of color or as a gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary person, et cetera, you know, like you have to serve as like this, like beacon in the community. You have to represent in your um, community, in your circle where there might not be people like you, but that's, that's hoo-ha and that's ridiculous. And yeah, um, just your presence alone is already saying something and your willingness to talk about it is already saying something and your willingness to just make art despite everything, despite all the odds against you, like that's a huge statement already. 
Oh my god, that touched me. Like, I literally, I'm low-key kind of choked up, stop, because I wish somebody, like, told me that in the beginning. Like, I shouldn't, like, you know, always feel like I have to go above and beyond just because, you know, I have all these people looking at me just because I'm I'm Black, I'm a person of color. And so, oh my gosh, well, stop, I literally have tears in my eyes because of that. Stop, but, like, yeah, I, I completely, like, what you said, it's, it's right on the money. And I wish somebody told me that in the beginning. And I wish, you know, we could tell people about that who feel like the immense pressure to be like that person because i mean in, in my town like and especially in high school like i was one of few and so automatically you know i had this i was either the front person or me and the few others were the front people and the only people that other people had to look at and so it, it, it's just all that pressure and you know like you saying just your presence is enough and i was like oh my god that really touched me um, I think something too that we discovered, and Will often talks about this when we have um, panels and different things uh, that we found during the filming process and the interviewing process is um, that activism can also be joyful and it can be funny and we can have, you know, laughs. And even during the riots, there were drum circles and there were dance parties and people were getting married. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't have to be so bleak all of the time and you know we deserve to feel happy even though all of this stuff is going on even though there are all of these tragedies like acts of joy and rest are acts of resistance as well as making grand gestures or um, just reading a book about anti-racism or something. Aurora that's a amazing thing to touch on because everything doesn't have to be so i mean it's a, a very serious situation but one of and this one of my favorite ever songs by stevie wonder it's called love's in need of love today and like that song is one of my favorite songs i love it so much and i think it shows exactly you know what we need like love's in need of love so we got to kind of pile it on and i think you just saying that you know uh, activism isn't always you know something that has to be so so serious and it's you know something that can be happy it's something that can be emotional it's something that can be serious but there's different ways to go about it and sometimes it's easier to do things when you know it's not so serious or maybe when it is serious so i, I think that's i thought you brought that up that's a great point yeah i i i think it's great that aurora said how Femin uh, not feminism sorry activism can be happy because when you look at so many things in daily life through an anti-racist lens through a feminist lens through any lens that goes against the heteronormative lens pretty much it's just like oh life sucks when you like want to be quote woke because then you realize like so many things are stacked against so many people but yeah it can be it can be beautiful and fun too going back to will like what he's saying everything we do is political for example if a like South Asian American would make a show that is not specifically about their identity, when I was younger, I'd be like, come on, like, why aren't you talking about it? I'm watching this because I want to relate to you. But through that, over the years, I've learned that I'm not going to relate to every like brown person's experience or Asian American's experience, and that's their own right to have their own voice heard, their own experience. And that's why, like, if you guys watch Never Have I Ever on Netflix, a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh I, I actually don't like it like i feel like it's really unrealistic but if you look at all like of netflix's teen drama originals insatiable riverdale's not an original but riverdale 
like they're all pretty crazy and they don't have that kind of stuff doesn't happen in real life so of course this show shouldn't be held to a different standard either so yeah I think it's important to have like different voices and realize you're not going to relate to everyone's experience but that's the point kind of to add on to the different experiences. What do you guys hope viewers, whether that's faculty, FIT student body, or anyone even outside of the FIT community walks away from your guys' documentary? I think in a way, um, kind of just like a summary of what we talked about in this podcast, um, for students to feel like their feelings are validated, for faculty to question um, things that they may think is normal in class, but can be very um, toxic to students. And for just genuinely anyone who might not be a part of the FIT community to just be more empathetic, um, question if they're being ignorant, seek out um, small ways that they can be more conscious, um, aware people. Um, and I think, you know, these small actions can do a large ripple effect. Um, just for example, me and Will, we submitted a project our freshman year and now we're possibly doing a third film before we graduate, um, working with faculty, have Aurora on our team, um, doing this podcast. And I think, you know, um, it may seem like you're doing these small actions against such large things against you, but you could be surprised with how much they grow and can um, inspire and benefit other people. So going off of what Ashley's saying too, not creating this like wonderful ripple effect, you know, um, I'm just going to like basically like, like, like requote the film here, but you know, the last ending lines of the documentary film is from Opie and he says, you know, like, you know, like you gotta be your, your own change, you know, and you can't really complain about it unless you actually try. And so the change that have to be huge. You know, incremental steps, like like those are the best steps, you know, take the baby steps. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and talking about everything from like how you can be more socially like aware and more considerate on or even just like approaches on like how maybe you want to represent yourself in your art. What does that mean? Even just thinking about like the words representation and other communities outside of your own, like those are good steps to take, you know, and even though this is really like a film that focuses on FIT students' experiences, and even though this is something that really focused on like validating everyone's experiences, you know, um, I think these are just universal experiences as well that people will face outside of an educational environment. You know, they may face it in work within their own family, within their friends. So, you know, these are going to be like lifelong things that people have to consider. So just keep thinking about it. Um, I guess back to the other question about takeaways um i really hope that at students now kind of more recognize that like everybody has a different role to play in this not all of us can be on soapboxes with megaphones sometimes like the most that you can do and the most that you can contribute is just talking to your parents or you know people who you know are or can be racist at times and calling them out on it in a way that is educational and um, comes from a place of like wanting your loved ones to be better because you love them and 
um, sometimes that means that you guys are going to disagree. One last quick thing that I want to mention is if you want to think of a way to um, help support this cause, um, next semester, contact me, Will, or Aurora, because we're all graduating and we would love for people to think about taking on this mantle. So yeah, if you do want to come out, create a documentary, or learn how to do these types of things, just reach out because um, once again, we want to focus on making this community that lasts beyond our four years here. Um, and one last thing. Um um, stream Rina Sawayama's um, entire disco discography, um, and that's it. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to put that in there. <laughs> One thing I want to mention was like a lot of this conversation was about representation. Talking about representation versus experiencing things that are damaging to your mental health and stuff is, I mean, they could overlap, but I think talking about representation is just like a privilege itself when that's your main concern but there that's not the only thing that matters also if you guys want you can talk about like where do you guys see yourself after this year but i know that's a pressing question because you're all senior so it's totally up to you if you want to answer i guess like talking about representation and all like i always say i always say that like especially in interviews <laughs> for jobs i want to be in the film industry for to represent my communities you know you know, after thinking a lot about, like, what that even means, like, you know, like, I, I still, you know, once I graduate, I definitely want to be in the film industry, and, you know, if not directly making these films that feature, you know, like, people who are not in the mainstream all the time, then, you know, at least, you know, continue what Spotlight has been doing and just, you know, provide platforms and uplift other people, you know. But, I mean, I definitely love horror films, so you're going to see a lot of Asian-inspired um, queer inspired horror films for coming from me yeah I think doing this type of work um, kind of made me rethink that trajectory as well um, I think this senior year I've been able to find what hap what like is happiness within my work and not solely focusing on what shows me being Puerto Rican or what me being Filipino or from the Bronx but just genuinely who I am beyond all those things um, and I think, especially being an illustrator, it's very weird right now being a freelancer and kind of like screaming into the world on fire, like, do you want to buy some stickers? Do you want a pet portrait is kind of silly. Um, but I think being in the Bronx, I'm able to have access to um, a lot of programs that give back to the community. So I definitely want to participate in those um, and learn about you know, people who are my neighbors, because I think going to school in Manhattan has definitely warped my sense of my own borough, which is very silly. But um, being back here has made me want to, I don't know, go back to my roots, even though I was a commuter, but um, definitely want to do some mentorships and work with, you know, other kids who um, might want to get into art, because I feel like programs for that here need a lot of help. So if I can help in any way, I want to do that. Um, mine's a little more boring because I'm a business major, but I, <laughs> after graduation, I mean, I hope to just get like an entry level job for a few years. I'd really like to go to law school um, to study intellectual property rights and work in the art world. Um, but I, 
I work a lot with a, a nonprofit called East in New York, which is focused on educating consumers about how to um, engage in like sustainable fashion in a way that isn't like greenwashing. Um, so I'll definitely continue working with them, definitely continue working with Ashley and Will on any creative projects sort of outside of whatever career I decide to go into, because at that point, at this point, it's like one of the least important things, I think, um, in, in my mind. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so great that you guys all have, you know, something that you're looking forward to doing once this school stuff is all over. And again, like just creating you know, another building block or a legacy by making this documentary. I just want to thank you guys so much for that because, you know, I didn't know that I needed it until I saw it. And I'm sure that goes for a lot of people who saw it. And so I'm so happy that you guys were able to, you know, put things together and, you know, make a statement and form a legacy. Thank you guys so much for having us. If you haven't already, you can watch Through Our Eyes 2020 for no charge on YouTube, and the link will be in the show notes. This episode of the T of FIT was produced by me, Prerna Chowdhury, and Lonnie Brown. We were edited by Prerna Chowdhury. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our cover art is by Jenny Keating, and our theme music is by MYSM for thematic. The T of FIT is a new show, so please help us get the word out by recommending this episode to your friends. You can also support us by reviewing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You can email us your suggestions and comments at w27 underscore newspaper at fitnyc.edu or DM us on Instagram at w27 newspaper. And please take a look at W27's fall 2020 issue, At Home Edition. Everything we just mentioned will also be in the show notes. We'll see you next month with a fresh brewed cup of tea with topics like this and others that are affecting college students. I'm Lonnie. And I'm Prerna. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep spilling the tea.